0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Imaginist podcast. Today, we come to you with our new series, Anxiety Corner. And in today's episode, we will be talking about mental health, stigma, navigating the world as a mentally ill person, and just sharing our stories and coping strategies. I want to say thank you to Elle, Amelia, and Haley for joining me today. I'm Miller, I'm going to be hosting this podcast. And we also want to mention that our newest issue of The Imaginus is out now, Issue 9, the mental health awareness issue. We also want to make a quick disclaimer. As much as we'd like to think so, none of us are mental health professionals. So if you really are seeking help, please seek a professional or go to your local GP. Um, you can also find some resources in the last page of Issue 9 if you are seeking help. And we hope you all enjoyed today's podcast. <music> first anxiety corner podcast and technically our first collab with one the patriarchy we are the imaginist for all writers and creators for the imaginist and you can find us on instagram with our new name now Mm -hmm. we're now at imaginist zine by the time everyone's listening to this issue nine will be out but issue nine is obviously our mental health issue for mental health awareness week which starts on monday um and so this will be out during mental health awareness week And so, I guess this is just going to be kind of our first kind of open conversation just about mental health in general, specifically anxiety and OCD, and just kind of promoting like conversation because I feel like Mental Health Awareness Week can be kind of frustrating Mm -hmm. when you are someone who lives with a mental illness Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's you just see people sharing the like the pretty Instagram graphics and you're thinking, well, maybe we should talk about it more or maybe we should like yeah lessen the stigma or you know fight for more funding and mental health mm-hmm. but I do feel like conversation is kind of that first step in you know destabilizing stigma and just making people more aware and comfortable to talk yeah. about these things. I also think yeah.
1: it's important to see that people can be funny bubbly nice creative and also have a mental illness exactly you know it doesn't confine you to like this one personality parts of yourself that aren't defined by mental illness as well as acknowledging mm-hmm. that parts of your life are defined by it but it doesn't exactly. have to be in a bad way
0: yeah and so that's Elle talking hi and we're also joined by Haley and Amelia and hi hello. hi <laughs> and we're all obviously We suffer from the big a yeah the big big a A. love it (laughs) and um yeah we're just gonna have an open conversation really our main focus for this episode was questions that um our followers and subscribers have sent in or have asked us personally and so that's going to kind of be at the root of our conversations today and i also just wanted to note that um if there are any specific trigger warnings then. You can find them in the description of this podcast. So whatever platform you're listening to, um, you can check the description for any kind of specific topics that we'll be handling today. But yeah, so we got quite a few questions, um, mostly kind of revolving around anxiety and some about OCD and the link to OCD and anxiety. Um, And the first question that really kind of struck me, because I feel like it's something that is so anyone who suffers with irrational anxiety can really relate to this and it's the question of how can you deal with anxiety about things you can't control and I felt like that was such a relatable question because I feel like we've all been there
1: I would love to know the answer actually. yeah I would really love to
2: (laughs) same same that was something I like looked at that question I was just like I can talk a lot about my anxiety with things I can't control but the dealing
1: part hmm (laughs) what I will say though is that most bad things that I have thought would happen have actually never happened um Mm. like bad things have happened but also I think we said this on the what in the patriarchy podcast actually Mm. when the worst happens it's not as bad as how you imagine yeah
2: Yeah, absolutely. Your brain makes it think like the world's going to, you know, come out from under your feet if this thing like happens, which it's usually just your mind like playing tricks on you because it'll never actually happen.
3: way I suppose that I've tried to rationalise that feeling is to just ask myself, like, what difference am I making by being anxious about this? Because the thing, and obviously this is way easier said than done, but the thing is either going to happen or it's not. And me putting all my energy into trying to prevent it from happen happening by worrying about it is not, not going to make a difference. And it's going to make me feel worse about it, uh, whether it happens or not. So that is how I start. And then whether I can actually do anything about that is another matter entirely. But just knowing that in my head what difference is it going to make if I think about this 24 seven or if I don't think about it at all?
0: Yeah, I feel like it kind of links that idea as well that 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 kind of saying people always say that you can't control what happens but you can control how you react to it yeah I feel like Mm -hmm. remembering that can be important to think okay I have no control over say like these intrusive thoughts that I'm having but I can control how I'm going to respond to them you know I can actively kind of try and destabilize them in my head and think okay, I can't control whether this is going to happen. I can't control if this thought is even true or like if it can become a reality, but I can choose how I'm then going to act and how that comes to fruition. I think remembering that can help.
2: Yeah, it's like being able to sit with it as well. You know, it's like not reacting immediately when the thought like pops into your head. It's weird because I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but sometimes I think I've got into a pattern because it's, become so normal for me to worry about things and to have these like thoughts pop up that it's almost like a strange sort of comfort that if I'm worrying so much about it maybe it won't happen because I'm like I'm worrying so much about it and like I get this I've got this weird thing of if I'm not worrying about it then or if I've not given it a second thought Mm. Will it is that more likely to happen? Yeah. Like, I don't do you get me? Like, that's I find so it yes, yeah. I'm like,
0: yeah. that is the big O, that's the and big, the C, o, not the big the A, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh,
0: no, I completely understand what you say about that because I had this the other day, like, suddenly an intrusive thought popped into my head, and it was a thought that I like, it was an anxious thought that I hadn't thought about in a while, and then I always, yeah, thought, oh, I hate that. Oh not thinking about it and I was like oh my god I've gone a week without thinking about this and I was like and it all hits you at once yeah it's the worst feeling and oh my gosh
2: I'm so glad we're talking about this because sometimes you can really feel like it is it always surprises me when I have these conversations people how many people say I really yeah I have the exact same thing and you're there thinking in your head I'm completely on my own you have no idea what's going on in, in someone's head and that's yeah. like so important like you know for this mental health awareness week of being able to be open about it because I think it's definitely helped me when I've heard other people say I've experienced that as well like there's nothing better like more reassuring than knowing that you're not the only one
1: I think it's Mm. worth mentioning here as well. There's like two sides to this because some things you can't control, you know, the big fears of like death, you know, Mm -hmm. like family, natural disaster, like things like that. And then there's also things like getting into the university you want to get into, getting a grade that you want. And I think there's layers to it. And I think it's important to, because, you know, that's OCD and anxiety, isn't it? Yeah. For example, like we were saying, like this year I applied to Oxford to do my master's. And I was like, if I don't get in, it's going to be the worst thing that's ever happened.
2: When like reality happens, you always, you will always get through it, if you know what I mean? And I think you you have, you, we don't give ourselves enough credit for that.
1: Yeah. And I think it's like all the worrying I did was unnecessary because mm. when things happen, you survive it. You know, things like that. You always have a plan. You could always get through it. So
0: Yeah. And I feel like as well, that's, I guess a good technique of easing anxiety about things you can't control is thinking about an, a situation in the past where something happened that you had no control over yeah and remembering how just how things turned out because clearly you know in some way or another you did get through mm-hmm. that situation I think yeah. by remembering that you know I got through that situation I had no control over it I can face any situation that comes my way yeah from this day
1: onwards yeah mm-hmm yeah anxiety can definitely manifest in certain because what that was was me thinking if I don't get in here I'm a fit you know I I'm like not worthy of anything and I'm not clever and smart which is a deeper issue that anxiety causes you know it wasn't even about the university it was about me and I think attaching my sense of self-worth into external things which Mm. anxiety often makes us do I think.
2: I think it's a big part of it is um, the feelings that you have about yourself. Like, you know, the values that you hold, like, especially it's like, you know, when somebody pays you a compliment and, and it barely touches you, but then someone pays, you know, someone might say something slightly critical and you're there like obsessing over that you take, you internalize it so much. And I think it's because your core values so many people's core values are that they're not worthy that they're not smart they're not this and they're not deserving of this and and it's really you know that I think definitely feeds OCD and anxiety because you're looking constantly for evidence to back mm. that up like to prove to yourself oh yeah
3: I am unworthy yeah because- I was gonna say I completely agree I feel like I have these underlying assumptions that I'm xyz and I ignore everything that doesn't yeah. reaffirm those but yeah. anything that like agrees with them or aligns with them very very slightly I jump on it and I'm like yeah yeah that's why I believe this because it's true
1: it's almost like you're writing an essay and you're taking like all the parts you want and put, like mm. you're creating a narrative and like an idea that isn't true
0: and I feel like this I so I guess this kind of leads on to um, a question someone asked about you know what is the difference between anxiety and OCD and how can I differentiate my anxious thoughts to OCD thoughts and we talked about this a little before we started recording and I feel like it is there is such an overlay that it ca- can sometimes be hard to separate the two mm. so what do you guys think about that what I
2: was saying before um is that I think with OCD it can be very much you know this intro well I know that there's so many different experiences of it but um, I think a lot of it can be that you have this intrusive thought and this one specific like worry that you kind of obsess over. Um, and like you're so focused on that, like your energy is taken up by worrying on this like specific thing um, and compulsion. Whereas I think with anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder tends to be almost like an being overwhelmed by so many worries about so many things. For me, my OCD experience is very clear like in comparison to that because I can I can just tell when there's been like an intrusive thought that I, my brain will just latch onto and that one thing will just take up so much of my mental like headspace. OCD, it's that constant fear of if I don't do this thing, this bad thing will happen or this thought comes into my head of, or what about this? Or what about that? Or what if this happens because of that? And, and that torments you as well. And it's just like, you've literally got this little voice in your head that's saying, you know, if you don't perform this these behaviours, almost like you get yourself into a routine of thinking like, oh, if I do this, this won't happen. Like it's like, it's a way for your brain to get control of a situation that you can't actually get control of, but it makes you feel like you have.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I have a very similar experience. I think for me, the anxiety, generalised anxiety cycle is I'm anxious about this particular thing or many things and there's nothing I can do to alleviate that anxiety. And that is the cycle that makes the anxiety worse. Whereas for OCD, it's I'm anxious about this particular thing. Here's the preventative measure I must take so this thing doesn't happen. And then that cycle makes the anxiety worse because I've essentially told my brain oh yeah this preventative measure works do it again yeah Yeah. and that that's the difference for me I think it's the illusion of control versus the fear of having no control
2: yeah
0: completely yeah it really is kind of like that act of asserting control on a specific thing or object or person um, where that control is elsewhere lacking and it links back to that earlier question of how do we deal with things we can't control? Yeah. Well, in an OCD person's mind, it is by taking that control and putting it somewhere else, somewhere where you can physically, you know?
2: Um, yeah.
0: Control things.
2: Yeah, yeah. where well, you feel like you're actually making a difference. And like you were like you were saying, Haley, like if you do it once and somehow coincidentally it works out in your favor,
1: that's <laughs> it in your
2: head now. Oh, this must work. I literally do think sometimes if this intrusive thought, oh, this bad thing's going to happen. I have actually got into a really bad habit now. It's like traditional, like hallmark OCD of like, oh, like if I just tap like three times or like I do like I touch like wood or some something like that, it's mad. Like that's just kind of, well, it's not mad. I don't like to use that word, but it, for me, it's like, it, it's one of those where it's, um, you know, in your head as well, the worst thing is, you know, in your head, this is, definitely obviously like you do, don't you're not gonna make a difference by doing it but you still do it anyway because it relieves the anxiety and it's better than not doing it.
1: It's so true because it is all about control because for me every mental illness I have all stems from this need to control life which I just can't do um, and I think for me part of it has been letting it go and just realizing that I can't write life out like I can't plan everything that's going to happen and I can't plan exactly who I am I just have to kind of be and let myself exist and I think the OCD for me really started when I experienced a death in my family for like the first you know my first proper death in my family Um, yeah someone I was really close to and I just realized I can't control life and I think I had this desire to need to like try and say like I wanted to protect people yeah and I I think my OCD isn't about myself it's about other people which I think is quite normal yeah Mm. yeah my anxiety is about me whereas my OCD is about other people so someone asked
0: um how do you improve self-esteem when you have anxiety disorders and how do you feel with these feelings of um so these feelings of being a burden in relation to anxiety disorders which I feel like is kind of this innate feeling that all anxiety sufferers have is like this idea of self-esteem and the concept of being a burden which can just be like yeah
2: debilitating isn't it it's that feeling of you make it worse for yourself and for your anxiety by punishing yourself when you get worried and when you You know, you you take that on, you internalize that as being really, really negative. Oh, this makes me look this way. These people have seen me kind of break down. How how can I? I don't want them to see me like that. I want them to see me as this way. And again, it's that trying to control people's perception of you.
3: It's treating yourself as you would treat a friend, isn't it? I definitely agree. I think the power of giving yourself just a little bit of credit, not even for the massive big milestone achievements, but for every little thing you've done. um, I don't I don't necessarily like the narrative that like someone is brave, strong, good, etc, just because they have mental illness. But I also think every demonstration you've made of doing something or however, I mean, not a demonstration that you've made on purpose necessarily, but every time you've done something in defiance of your anxiety, that that is a show of your resilience and your determination. And that is something to be celebrated. Um, I also think I, I try and remind myself that everyone has something that means they need a little bit more support in a certain area. It might not be anxiety related. Some people have a really short temper. Some people have a hard time picking up new skills. Some people really struggle with their, the way they communicate. Um, and those people are probably very self-conscious about those things. I don't I don't think about that and if I see someone who is struggling because of something that they can't control and they didn't choose I'm never going to judge them for it I'm going to want to make them feel supported Um, and I would like to think that most people feel the same about us and about other people who struggle with anxiety so just putting it in other people's shoes I think can be a bit helpful in that situation.
0: There are kind of those you know like stereotypical techniques that people give you for like improving self-esteem with anxiety and although they may just kind of be the first surface layer of, you know, like writing affirmations or, you know, positive mantras, um, they are just kind of that like first surface level approach. But I think they can help to an extent in just practicing being kind to yourself. And like you were saying, Amelia, just treating yourself as if you were treating yourself like a friend
1: mm-hmm. and just showing yeah. some
0: kindness to yourself. Because honestly, like, I've had a therapist before who was like, just give yourself a break. Like, honestly, (laughs) Mm -hmm. just be nice to yourself. It it can feel so hard, but once you start showing yourself that kindness that you show others, like you truly do see the impact it has on you. And just giving yourself a break, you know, saying it's okay if I sleep longer than everyone else, you know, my brain is working faster sometimes. It's okay if I have a lion every so often and just showing yourself just some compassion can go such a long way
1: definitely i think as well what i was saying earlier about how you you're allowed to be a person outside of your mental illness you're allowed to have a personality that is separate to that and i think that's been really big for me to realize that even the people who've seen me have panic attacks and cry and be difficult and you know not be a, a great person sometimes because of my anxiety they've seen they've also seen the good parts of me too and i think mm-hmm. It's about seeing me as a full person and not, like, reducing myself to just the bad traits that anxiety gives me. Because, like, you love me, my friends love me, and you've seen me at my worst and my best. And mm-hmm. I think I need to see myself in that way, that I deserve love at my worst and my best.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's,
2: it's like not having conditional self-love based on, oh when I'm the best version of myself, that's only when I can love myself. It's acceptance, isn't it? It's learning to come to terms with obviously there's, you know, a point where where therapy comes into play where going to see someone and, and seeking help with, with problems that are really affecting you is so important. Um, but it's giving yourself a break. Like you said, it's being aware that you're human and I think OCD, it's very much you have this perfectionist mentality of I have to live up to these unrealistic expectations in order to feel remotely satisfied with who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's just not attainable. (laughs) It's not ever going to be attainable. So if you're constantly trying to push yourself to live up to these unrealistic expectations of perfectionism.
1: That's so true. It's like today, like just for an example, when I was coming to Miller's house today, I was like, I feel disgusting. And she was like, why? And I was like, my hair's not right. And she was like, so? And I was like, what are people going to think if they see me on Zoom in my head? And she was like, well, they won't think anything. Because, yeah. I mean, why would people judge you for that? And I think that's just a little example. But it's true how, like, with me, anxiety and, like, perfectionism, it's everything. It's, like, how I'm mm-hmm. acting, how I look, my hair, my face, you know, what I'm saying. And so it's true. It's like, I'll just relax. Yeah. yeah stop thinking about it also talk to your friends because like this morning like you were just saying Elle it doesn't matter and I was like do you know what you're right it doesn't matter what matters is that we're doing a podcast and talking about anxiety that's what matters exactly and sometimes you just need someone to like ground you I think and just put you back into out of your own head
2: I completely get it though what you mean about the perfectionism because when it comes to things I I think it depends like mine's quite It's not always the case, like right now, you know, I'm here just kind of, I've not really, (laughs) I'm just, you know, brush my hair basically, essentially is what I've done. Um, But like, if it's like a certain day that I'm going out for an event or I'm just going out maybe to like meet someone um, and I want, you know, I want to look, I want to put like effort into like, oh, I wear something nice or I do like my makeup or do my hair it will get I will get so frustrated if it doesn't go how I want it to and that's when the perfectionism in terms of that come like in terms of appearance comes in because normally like I go out a lot where I'm not you know I'm absolutely comfortable like in my own mm-hmm. skin but on certain occasions I when I when I'm making the effort it has to be perfect or I'll be really annoyed
3: I agree and it, it can be the most minor thing as well or seemingly minor um like I have, similar to you, I was thinking earlier about how I'm going out tonight, and I was like, I need to look the best I've ever looked, like for no reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had to like catch myself really early and think like, if my eyeshadow turns out a shade darker than I wanted it to be, yeah. no one around me is going to notice. But because <laughs> I know, yeah. and because I have set myself the expectation that it's going to be one shade lighter than that, it's really going to bug me and make me like irritable and antsy all night because I know that it's not right, um, quote unquote. But yeah, it's it's weird how something so little can...
1: For me, a lot of my OCD tendencies actually came from body dysmorphia Um, because I don't like trigger warning for body dysmorphia, but you know, a lot of it is like trying to check your body and see reality. And it's this constant need to like check and see how you look because you're not sure in your head. Yeah. That's why I get so anxious about, you know, a hair being out of place or like what I'm wearing. And I'm always, you know, like we were laughing, I'm always dressed up. Like I'm always put together because if I'm not, then I feel like a sense of dread that someone's going to like be horrible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to a therapist about it and it basically stems from in school when boys used to make fun of me for how I looked. I was stuck in that version of myself. And he said to me, he was like, at that point, I was 17. And he said, you're stuck in that 13 year old girl's head. Yeah. And you're, whenever you look in the mirror, that's who you're seeing. And that's how you feel. And he said, you need to come back into reality and see who you are now. And let go of those anxieties. And those things that people have said to you.
2: 100%. I think that that's a big thing when you're like when I look back at sort of my teen years and how insecure I was like I think a lot of girls are when you're that age you know you the idea of going to like school or sixth form without having done like my hair and makeup and I would never have dreamed of it you know I was like I was so as always especially like you know around that age 16 to 18 those years like I always wanted to be look put together and always look good and It takes like a long time to get out of that and to reach a point where you can be comfortable with, you know, not doing all of that. Because I think you are almost, especially for women, when you're trained, almost trained into being like I have to, I have to put in all this time and energy into my appearance in order to be accepted.
1: Because I have a lot of anxiety around people, you know, treating me differently if I was not looking how I normally look which mm. I, again I can't control it I think again it comes down to me wanting to control how nice people are to me yeah and like everything comes back to me just trying to control life which I can't do
0: and it's such an awful thing as well when your anxieties or insecurities are being based off of other people's perception of you like yeah. you said because yeah how, you know the boys treated you in school mm-hmm. like that can have such an impact on your own self-worth and then yeah. going forward how your anxiety manifests itself exactly and I feel like that's so relatable to every teenage girl yeah like I, I went to an all girls school and boys still like found a way to like just treat you awfully you actually have such an impact yeah. on your mental health and yeah. how you see yourself and it's so hard undoing those thought patterns that you get in your mind because of the male gaze or because yeah. of how men treat you it's really hard to unpack those in your adult life I think absolutely
3: yeah especially because I think at the time they can be so easily dismissed like not to I know this is not a what the patriarchy podcast but like but like <laughs> that it's just the boys, <laughs> and the boys mentality um mm-hmm and you you're not really taken seriously and you don't really take them seriously yourself. So you don't really realize how much they've impacted you until later down the line when you're like, Oh my God, why do I feel so disgusting all the time? Yeah. Um, someone put those thoughts there exactly. and you, they've just manifested it's, it's over time.
2: Absolutely. Like, it's not like you're not born believing <laughs> these things by yourself or feeling that way. It, it comes from interactions with other people. And when you're a teenager I actually have had a lot of conversations with people about this because it's a real issue, you know, bullying, like amongst young people. And I don't think people realise like just because, you know, oh, it wasn't bullying, like physical bullying or someone was literally, you know, stalking after school. Like that's the level that people expect it to be in order to be taken seriously when actually in class, you know, it's it's just considered normal to have people just make comments or snide remarks and that's what gets you it's the I'll never forget any sort of snide remarks or it doesn't matter if I was to meet these people again now I would still hold that grudge against them I don't care it's like people think oh we were just kids we were kids then you know I've grown up I was a kid then and I didn't do that
1: I'm 23 now and I still suffer with those things that some people said to me
2: yeah I completely yeah, yeah. get it and it's like cool. I th- sometimes I think I've come so far from that I'd be absolutely fine because you know over the years like I felt like oh I've had so I've got so many lovely people who have said such lovely things you know and that's really like boosted my confidence so much yeah. but then also I think like it 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 hasn't just stopped because I know 100% if someone was to make a comment now that would still upset me just like it did all those years ago some of the comments like made by this like 13 year old lad who like <laughs> literally like literally like they're like oh, like I've <laughs> taken that so seriously.
1: The male gaze as well like it's just always present um and it because for a long time I feel really uncomfortable around men because I always assumed that that's how they would treat me. It took me a long time to see men as just you know they can be just like women and just be your friend and be nice to you and looks don't come into it at all but I think but yeah I'm really a lot of my anxiety actually does come from the male gaze which I kind of touched on before but something I'm mm. trying to work through definitely completely
0: yeah I yeah. guess with that someone asked um what are your best coping mechanisms to deal with anxiety so kind of what are these habits or you know things we're doing in our everyday life to kind of alleviate some of that stress and anxiety that we've been talking about
3: this is another one that I would love to know the answer to yeah yeah um,
0: <laughs> Yeah, We're like someone let me know when you find yeah. out. we just yeah, like,
3: yeah. Write in, tell us, please.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, DM us on Instagram. What do
0: you think? I think honestly, like to be blatant about it, I would honestly say, for me at least, medication and mm-hmm. or a combination of medication and therapy. And I feel like this question, it really does differ from person to person on what works for you when you're coping with anxiety. And I think it really is finding either that balance or finding something that works for you. I know some people like, you know, just need medication and no therapy or just need therapy and no medication or some people don't need either and they just need these kind of everyday habits or, you know, practicing, you know, self-worth and self-care. But I think for me, honestly, medication has been like the saving grace of my anxiety or at least the thing that has helped alleviate symptoms over the years and just has allowed me to kind of, be the version of myself who isn't anxious more of the time you know it doesn't Mm -hmm. get rid of your anxious self but I think it just does allow you to be you know like Elle says be both versions of you be the one who is anxious but also the one who can go out in the world and be extroverted and you know have a laugh with their friends and and I feel like medication really allows that for me yeah
1: it's really important that you said that because I think a lot of people think medication will make you not yourself
0: oh for sure but it's so interesting yeah. that
1: you find that you are more yourself when you're on medication I think that's really important for people to know that you don't lose your whole absolutely sense of self.
0: there is this stigma with medication that like you do become you know like a zombie yeah because like I I'm on antidepressants and so a common stigma with that is oh so you don't you know feel anything and I'm like <laughs> well no I i feel things yeah <laughs> but it's just you know allowing me to have a clearer mind almost so when i am feeling things i'm all able to organize my thoughts in a, in a healthier yeah. and more productive way because i'm not clouded by you know the, the really strong anxiety or the really strong depression I, i'm mm-hmm. just able to kind of see things more clearly and just be you know more myself yeah. which i think a lot of people don't assume how they
1: work a therapist said to me once that medication is like taking a taxi or an uber for gen z if you don't know what a taxi is um, <laughs> taking an uber <laughs> rather than walking so it's just I like love that. yeah it's just like a little boost to get you like if therapy is the destination then medication is just getting an uber to therapy
0: for sure yeah. and i love that metaphor yeah. i'm going to use that to everyone i yeah. know that's
2: amazing i'm going to put that in my every bio that i have yeah <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's so true. I think medication is a big one for me as well. And I think, like you say, with the, the whole stigma around it and a lot of people think as well as making you like an unfeeling robot, it will in in removing your sadness, as people expect, um, it will also remove your happiness. And that just doesn't work. Like, it makes the I think it makes all of my emotions less extreme but in a helpful way not in a way that detracts from who I am but then in saying that I also think um it would be naive to to believe that medication will completely obliterate all of your bad days and you won't ever have a bad day anymore um when I first went on um antidepressants and I was still having days where I felt really really sad and really bad I would feel worse because then I'd have the thought process of oh I'm on medication I shouldn't feel like this anymore then you start beating yourself up um for feeling bad so I definitely think don't fall into that trap definitely if you are considering medication like it it won't fix everything immediately but it is a massive help in just regulating your emotions and getting rid of those most destructive symptoms
0: yeah I'm glad you said that because I feel like people think okay I'll take medication and that will be, you know, the end of it. Like I'm cured mm-hmm. as if it's like something that can be cured in a sense. Like a cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like it, it's not because, you know, you do have to accept that like this is a part of you and it, by treating it as if it's not, it's not going to help you. Like- it's
2: acceptance, isn't it? It's yeah, going accept- back to that of it's, it reaches a point where, I mean, I, I don't take any medication, but um I do know that it like trying to battle against, like a part of yourself you're never gonna win that battle you know it's 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 learning to I guess manage it's managing Mm -hmm. your and what you were saying Haley, regulating like emotions like it getting to a point where you can start to do that you know for yourself like regulating instead of like cuz i i went through a phase where I definitely was really struggling to deal with my emotions and they were so kind of like strong it would be like as soon as i feel a thing i would like go all in on that you know and it would just it would be like very highs and very lows and i I'd, I'd be very very governed by my emotions but yeah. like you don't let it you know i think sometimes it will wear a different hat and be like hey i'm back like trying to disguise itself
1: <laughs> yeah
2: But when you can be when you it's you taking the power over that and not letting it take the power over you.
3: I had a therapist once who used an analogy that I found quite helpful, like along those similar lines, Amelia. She said that your intrusive thoughts are like trains and your brain is a train station. You can watch the trains come in and go out but you don't have to get on them. You can make the choice whether you're going to get on that horrible, intrusive thought train that's probably not going to the best destination or (laughs) wait for another train to come along that's going to be a bit nicer. She was like, you don't have to shut the station completely. You know, you don't have to, like you said, block those, try and block those as well because that's not going to work either. You can let the Mm -hmm. trains through, but you don't have to to get on them.
1: I'm just going to contradict myself here for for this question um, with how to cope with anxiety because... I did say earlier, it's good to be your authentic self, which I think it is, but a really practical thing that's helped me with confidence is pretending to be a different person. And I, I don't mean that really dramatically, but for example, I used to be too scared to go into coffee shops on my own because I found it embarrassing. I found ordering really nerve wracking. And I used to say to myself, well, you're not L today. You're this girl and she's really confident and she wants a coffee. And she said, to go and order it. And I used to do that and it would work. And I used to wow. do it so much that now I go in and I'm fine. And I used to think, you know, I used to get really nervous on buses and I used to, or trains. So I used to think, well, today you're a girl who loves trains and buses. <laughs> and she, she can't wait to get on this bus. And I think, I know it's like kind of cliche, but tricking my brain into thinking that I could do something. Cause a lot of my anxiety was, I put myself in a box Where I said I'm not a girl who does this you know I don't go into coffee shops on my own I don't walk down the street on my own and it was like saying to myself well today you you do and you're not Elle you're this girl and she can do that and then it you know now I can do all these things I found it really helpful to just you know even like certain like like coats I have I'm like when I wear this coat I'm that girl and it
0: really like
2: it goes to show doesn't it like you you know, your expectations of yourself, you can be, I mean, okay, this sounds so cheesy, but you can be anything you want to be, like, you know, and you you really can, like, there is, the only person that's stopping you is you, I won't die if somebody's opinion of me is negative, like, I'm not going to, like, <laughs> see, if, if somebody over there is silently judging me, that is not going, they, they're not going to come over, like, nothing is going to happen to me,
1: exactly and I think you define yourself through the people you love as well so if you surround yourself with people who love you and who don't criticize you for being anxious you're going to be more comfortable with yourself whereas if you have friends who are like you know potentially they criticize you for oh why are you anxious about this why are you doing this then it's gonna make you feel worse Mm -hmm. I think it what like who you surround yourself with really makes a difference I think Definitely.
0: Like if you're surrounding yourself with someone who is, I mean, first of all, criticizing why you're anxious or your anxiety itself, that in itself is just a red flag to me because if anything, that is just going to exacerbate someone's anxiety. So if you're surrounding yourself with people who are critical of your anxiety, that's, you know, not only going to worsen your own anxiety, but you're going to become anxious of how you open up to people um, and I feel like you can, it only takes one bad experience of someone to be critical of your mental illness or say the wrong thing. And that can really make you close off for a long time. And mm-hmm. I feel like just being aware of that. In, and also, I think a way of dealing with that is realizing not everyone is going to understand your mental illness. Mm-hmm. And as much as they should, you can't control what other people do and don't know. So if someone does say something critical, just thinking, that's not a reflection on me that's a reflection on how they're not ed- educated on me they don't know what it's like to be me and so I'm mm-hmm. not going to let that negatively impact me
2: it's like some people don't want you know they don't know how to handle you know this sort of thing and and I think that you can internalize like their reaction to you as oh that means that what I'm feeling is invalid whereas mm-hmm. actually you know it's just they are not they're not able to help. Like they're not able to understand. And that doesn't mean that your feelings aren't valid. That doesn't mean that just because their reaction to you is, oh, just pull it together. Like, I don't, you know, why are you being like this? You know, doesn't mean that you have to think to yourself, oh, therefore I am, maybe I am just weak or I am just, you know, overreacting. Like, no, you know, your whatever you feel is valid to so such a stigma around mental health.
1: That's such Mm. a good point because I I just want to say as well nobody pretends to have a mental illness for attention.
0: That is Mm. not a thing that
1: happens. Imagine. Because and I want to say as well nobody has panic attacks for attention. Panic attacks are the scariest most embarrassing horrifying things nobody Mm -hmm. does attention. I don't even know how I would pretend to have a panic attack. (laughs) I,
0: I don't even know if that's possible.
1: So And I think some people I see on the internet a lot, people saying, oh, some people just pretend to have these mental illnesses because it's cool now, like these days. And I'm like, no, I think just now more people are honest and our world is kind of scary and people have mental illnesses. And Mm I hate the idea that, because it puts it in people's heads that they're not actually ill enough to seek help and that they're making it up, which isn't true. Yeah.
3: That's, That's a big thing I think like the imposter syndrome almost of like having a mental illness and knowing when's an appropriate time to seek help how bad does it have to be before I seek help like let's just say if you think if you're considering seeking help you should because clearly there's something that's affecting your life Mm -hmm. um in a big enough way for you to require that help um people put so
2: much on it though don't they they put they people make out like going to therapy is like you can only do that if like you are really like extremely extremely suffering like oh that's you're going to therapy what does that like there's still even like just we need to normalize therapy
0: it's so funny because our brain is an organ but we just don't treat it like one and like (laughs) it's so funny because if you said someone like i'm going to the gp you know my my stomach hurts. My toes fall. Yeah, yeah. they wouldn't yeah. gasp and be like, oh, you're going to the GP yeah. because an organ of yours hurts. But like yeah. suddenly when it's therapy, it's like, yeah. Oh, you're going to mm. therapy? Like yeah. Yeah. we need to start treating our brain as if it is part of our body because it is and yeah. ignoring it yeah. is not gonna do anyone any
1: good. For a while therapy was kind of seen as like this thing people in LA did just yeah. to like complain. <laughs> you know, like this very bougie thing that people just did you know
3: still quite um inaccessible for a lot of people and I think that's not helpful mm-hmm. in terms of the stigma um the fact that it is so expensive or, or the fact that if you do go to your GP and have therapy through the NHS you need to be like on death's door in yeah. order for them to give you it or you'll be on a waiting list for years and years and I think that's so harmful mm-hmm. towards the mental health and towards our goal of ultimately everyone having therapy and everyone talking freely about their therapy I think the fact that it is still so inaccessible to a lot of people and a lot of groups is not not a good situation for us to be in Um, that's a really
2: good point actually you're right about that like obviously in a perfect world we would all be open about our mental health issues and we'd all have access to support
0: so I feel like what a lot of people um don't realize it's kind of like the physicalness of anxiety. And it's something that we kind of, we forget how much anxiety can manifest itself in our bodies or in the way, you know, we react to things. Um, Obviously panic attacks being the prime example of how physical anxiety can be. Um, And someone asked um, how to navigate feeling nauseous because of anxiety. And I feel like this is such a common thing. And it's something that I have, had you know since such a young age and I remember the first time I said to Al the first time I went to see my GP about anxiety I don't think me and myself even realized I had anxiety I think I was like 14 or 15 and I went and I was like I don't know why I feel sick all the time (laughs) I just said to like I feel really nauseous all the time and then I get more nauseous when I recognize I feel nauseous Mm -hmm. and he was like Bestie, I'm afraid to tell you this—you've <laughs> got anxiety, and then it just kind of clicks. You're like, "Oh, so it's it's normal for my body to have this visceral reaction to something that's going on in my mind." Yeah. What do you guys kind of find? Do you guys experience the same thing, like anxiety, nausea, or other kind yeah of aspects? It's like a feeling of of dread,
2: isn't it? It's like this—it's like an indescribable panic where, like, my I- I- if. Like in the past like i've noticed like if this thought has like dawned on me and i suddenly it's like getting deeper and more like complex on there like i'm like giving it attention it's literally i can feel my body reacting to it like as if like your body goes into almost like a fight or flight mode where it thinks it's under attack like it literally it is like a, a, a bod, like it is a react a physical reaction that you will have because your body like i mean your brain like obviously controls everything And if you believe, you know, there is a real threat here, your body will react accordingly. Um, So it makes sense, you know, as to why we would feel like those physical reactions, but I've definitely had like nausea, like that, you know, that used to affect me quite a bit, Um, especially like around, like I just, it'd almost be like around certain times or around certain specific events. Like it would just, it would come out and, and you'd be like oh just fine it's fine but it would definitely it would affect you like me a lot for sure
0: and I feel like for me at least sometimes the thought of the nausea can kind of overtake what I'm actually being anxious about in the first place because I find myself becoming more anxious and aware of how I'm feeling and if if I'm around other people I'm thinking oh gosh they're gonna think I'm like they're gonna think I'm weird (laughs) like they're like why does this this girl feel sick all the time and honestly even my sister like makes fun of me at how much I say the words I feel sick but I'm like that's just anxiety like it really is this like innate feeling of just like just this kind of constant nausea and I guess ways of like this person asked ways of navigating that for me at least that is obviously all those kind of like quick remedies that people you know when you google when you're younger it's like drink ginger tea and like breathing Mm -hmm. exercises and as much as those can you know help some people or they can help you a little bit for me I think it's really untangling the thoughts and getting to the root of what in this situation is making me feel anxious and what Mm -hmm. can I do to alleviate that anxiety I think getting to the root of it is how you can really like detangle the thoughts that are making you feel nauseous if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes as hard as this is to hear, you just have to let yourself feel sick. Because when I moved to Stockholm and I was in IKEA, classic in Stockholm, with my <laughs> mum. And it she is the day she was going to leave and I was going to be there on my own, you know, and it was like a massive day. And we were walking around this IKEA and I was a zombie and I thought I was going to throw up in the middle of this IKEA. And I was just, you know, not speaking I was being kind of snappy but she knows that it was because I felt sick and she mm-hmm. said to me she was like in a few days you won't feel sick anymore you'll have settled down and you'll feel okay you just have to get through the next minute next hour mm-hmm. and it was you're not gonna feel this sick forever, yeah you for know. the rest of your life, yeah, like you just feel it's you're you're anxious, you feel horrible, but you will feel better and she was right because then you know I was drunk like an hour <laughs> later with my friends um and it
2: was oh fun. my god, that sounds literally like the first day that I went to uni like really? i i <laughs> yeah i it's like the exact same I mean, I had not been looking for and most people are really excited to go to uni. And I was really—I've never really been very good with change. Um, and at the beginning, whenever change happens, even when it's exciting or something really good, I don't have a re- a positive reaction to it. Like you know, with anything like starting at a course, starting a job, like any—I just think, even though I know, oh, this is good, this is like the right thing for me, my first reaction will always be like, oh no, I'm not sure about this. Like ah.
1: Yeah, you're like you're excited. Mm-hmm. I think that's worth noting as well. A lot of the times, I, like excitement gets confused with anxiety when you have anxiety. Mm-hmm. you are actually really excited, but, you know, it yeah. like, manifests into
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That one for me, I think is easier to deal with because then I know why I've got like this feeling of butterflies and this feeling of sickness. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying so anything to deal with. Obviously, it's still horrific. Mm-hmm. But for me, the worst kind of anxiety nausea is when I don't know what I'm anxious about. And I feel like it's happened to me quite a lot recently. I just feel sick 24-7. And I'm like, why? Which I think, yeah, like you said, Mila, the easiest thing to do in that situation would be to try and, you know, investigate your thoughts a bit, figure out what's making you anxious. But then I sometimes get more anxious because I still can't figure out what's wrong because it's a physical sensation and not a, not a cognitive thought process. And I'm just in this bit of a pickle where I'm like, well, I feel awful I can't figure out why I feel awful which makes me feel more awful um (laughs) I think the most difficult thing and then I do the L approach of just wait Mm -hmm. it out you know it's not whatever you're anxious about it's not going to last forever you can only take as as best of care of yourself while it's happening as you can I think yeah the big ones for me obviously just keep hydrated keep drinking water as much as you can like eat proper meals and get fresh air all those basic and kind of patronizing sounding things but they are the things that your body needs as well as your brain um and you kind of got to take care of them both as best you can really
1: because I once um it was in first year actually and it was after Christmas which I think for a lot of students is a big time because you get you've been at uni you've been in this bubble where like you know Everything's exciting, and then you go home and you get the comforts of home. And going back, I think, is always really hard. Mm. And I was getting the train, and I, my, my parents knew that I, you know, when I'm anxious, I feel sick. So I had these travel sickness things on my wrist, but it wasn't helping. And I was sat on this train. There was like a group of lads going somewhere, <laughs> like probably to Leeds on like a stag do, and I was sat there gagging on this train. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> And I was on my own and this girl next to me was like, Are you okay? And I was like, no, <laughs> Um, okay. but, you know, I got through it and I was fine. But it was just, um, I think sometimes you need to have like, sounds weird, but like a level of humor with yourself where you can almost mm-hmm. laugh about how ridiculous like the situation was. Oh, yeah,
0: for sure. And That's just on true. the
1: topic of like bodies and how they, you know, react to anxiety. A big thing with me, as you know, is like, I get really shaky and mm. it's, for me, it's probably one of the worst physical symptoms because I get embarrassed about it. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's when I'm trying to like I'm in a coffee shop and trying to pick up my coffee and my hands are suddenly, you know, going like this. Or mm-hmm. if I'm like doing a presentation at uni and I get really shaky. And I think I've kind of just had this thing where I just bring it up now before other people can mention it. So I'm yeah. so always sometimes I get really shaky and they're like, okay, that's fine. And then it's kind of over with
3: yeah the sense of humor thing is such a big thing for me like and it's hard because you don't want to be like self-deprecating in a way that reinforces your bad thoughts about yourself yeah but also like it just does lighten the mood it makes things so much easier if if if, you know you do something funny in a not funny way you're like oh it's just the anxiety like no big deal this is my life it's fine um because and it will help Uh, with the stigma and you know making it easier for other people to talk about things that were previously uncomfortable to talk about and if you show oh look like I'm open about the weird or you know perceived to be weird things I do maybe you can talk about yours too and we'll all just be having an anxious time together (laughs)
1: Exactly. right now and I think bringing it up as well makes you feel better because you know otherwise they would be like oh what if people see me shaking and they think I'm strange but now I'm like oh I might be vibrating today and then just like <laughs> okay that's fine and
2: then it's out of the way I think it's yeah. um like because well, I know that you've kind of people made the point of um unpacking kind of the, the why like behind it I think it's important as well though to have like a limit with that um in terms of how far in you go of assessing why it is that you feel the way you feel because mm-hmm. I, I actually made that mistake once. I think it was, um, I made like a post about OCD. And I was, I realized the post that I made about OCD was classic OCD. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the advice that I gave was like, no, that's just you being OCD about it. I was there, I'm like, yeah, I've realized like I need to understand like the why of everything. And like, I've like, and like someone told me like, actually sometimes like understanding the why is just not, not the right thing to do at all. Like, because... <laughs> Um, sometimes there really is no why it doesn't make it it there's not a why to to find
0: for sure yeah um and I feel like as well like because as anxious people like we do find it hard to just let a thought pass through Mm -hmm. like innocently just let it appear and then let it go like that is something we all struggle with so much and so I think you know we do struggle with just experiencing something instead of having to make it more than it is and having to unpack every single thought we experience instead of just riding it out i think that can be something that's so tricky when you have anxiety and ocd but yeah and we're all trying to actively practice and also know?
1: we're all writers as well so it doesn't help that we think about everything all the time you know? uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, how can i write about this we're cursed
2: um, <laughs> it's like our creative minds torture us with all the endless possibilities <laughs> that we can yeah. think of of like oh this could happen like the creativity yeah. is like almost like detrimental in that regard of like i'm being like all these creative things that i've thought of that could happen and i'm like
1: what like where did that come from at least now um, we channel it into good like into, you know, the imagination yeah. of blogs. Yeah, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like a really kind of good question to close on and one that I thought, I found myself thinking about this question last night a lot is, you know, what has been your biggest challenge whilst coping with an anxiety disorder and how have you overcome that challenge or you or how are you still, you know, continuing to overcome it? Because I find myself often thinking about one of my biggest challenges Um, of having anxiety or depression or OCD is that thought that's always in the back of your mind of like how much stuff have I missed out because I was too anxious or because I was depressed and when you start thinking about that you can really spiral because and I talked about this in my imaginist piece this week of like being mentally ill kind of being like living in this glass box and like being in the world but not really being in the world and Mm -hmm. experiencing things but not really being able to do the same as other people and that can often feel like you're missing out on so much and so that's something I struggle with like that mindset of thinking oh my gosh have I missed my whole teenage and young adult years because of you know my own brain yeah I
1: I think as well it's really hard not to imagine like a parallel universe where you're not mentally ill and like, mm. this, again, it's like that version of you that doesn't get things wrong and always looks perfect and always says the right things and has the greatest friends and is really funny. But that person isn't real. Like you are that person in some sense, you know, but in that person who has never suffered a bad day in their life, that person doesn't exist. And I think yeah. wasting, wasting your time thinking about who you could have been, is never going to provide you with anything. Because all you can think about now is who you can be in the future. Mm-hmm. you can't go back and change who you were as a teenager. I would love to. You know, <laughs> no I, I, would I would love like There's like yeah. you know, a list of things I can think of now that I would change, but I can't. Yeah, it's just about realizing that you are yourself and this is who you are. And you can't waste your life thinking about who you could have been. Because it's happened.
2: Is you, You've been made the person you are because of what you've gone through and because mm. of the experiences yeah. that you've had
3: yeah 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 I completely agree I think um like you said Amelia part of the reason you've made the choices you've made and become the person that you are is because of the anxiety and the you know the issues you faced regarding that I used to have a lot of um guilt almost about I was quite an intelligent child and like my school and my family and myself at one point were like yeah she's gonna go Oxford or Cambridge and then I didn't because I was very unwell at sick form I didn't really want to exist let alone think about going to university let alone a uh, top university and now I look back and I think if I hadn't gone to the university I ended up going to I would never have done the module that made me want to do the master's degree that I'm doing now which is a master's degree in human rights which is something that I'm really proud of I would never I might not have learned the things on that degree that have made me as compassionate as I am now that's you know again something I touched on in my Imaginist piece this week um about how I think that I do have more empathy for being an anxious person than I potentially would have without because I don't want to see anyone suffer in the way that I have suffered or in any other way for that matter um so I think yeah definitely agree with Miller that um the the idea of like wasted potential and a wasted life thus far is a big issue for a lot of anxiety sufferers. But I think, like we've all said, if you can appreciate what you've the sort of silver linings of what's happened to you um, and the ways that that has made you a better person or um, it's given you strengths as well as things that you might feel are weaknesses. You have
2: to just try not to torture yourself with this like version that you really wish oh I could have been this I could have been that because the person that you are like now because of what you've gone through and because of the experiences you've had is a great person and you should Mm -hmm. love that person just like everybody around you loves that person and working on the person you are now and focusing on like the great future that you're going to have that is where your focus should be
0: yeah and I always like to think as well like because we have experienced these things I I always like to think you know we wouldn't be here doing this if we hadn't
3: yeah yeah
0: it was just yeah exactly only helps one person even if it only helps us like yeah (laughs) then it's still like yeah simply existing and having our own experiences like we're able to turn that into something that someone might find so useful or someone might find it to be a lifeline or exactly. or we, it might just even help us. Like, even if it helps no yeah. one, like, I think it's so productive to have these conversations yeah. and yeah. to speak openly and just free from any shame or stigma or judgment, I think is just so important and just so valuable.
1: I agree. I think for me, my greatest challenge was, like I've referenced a lot, was trying to define myself outside of my mental illness. Mm -hmm. and really letting myself be you know I am a person outside of anxiety I'm quite a bubbly person like a giggly I'm quite strange you know I'm kind of hyper and weird but I didn't want to see myself as like a miserable like eeyore sort of person who was just like wobbling around like always Mm -hmm. so fragile because you know I have days where I'm really sad and miserable but Mm -hmm. I also have days where I am not and I think it was really important Mm -hmm. for me to realize that I don't have to be a certain way because of my mental illness and you know it's not bad yeah. it's bad of course it's not you know everyone is sad at some point but it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't that um, I don't always have to be sad just because I have a mental illness so I think mm-hmm. I used to get to a habit of I'd wake up really happy and I'd think why do I feel great today you know why why don't I feel like anxious and terrible and it was like well hold on to it because you're allowed to feel that way you don't mm-hmm. have to always beat yourself up and feel bad you're allowed to have days where you feel good and I think yeah. I really cherish those days now yeah, yeah. So for me it was just you know letting myself be a person outside of it and loving that person but also when things are bad loving that version as well mm-hmm. definitely yeah and as well just in terms of just
0: T- being able to talk about these things as well just makes you feel so much less alone in what you're going through. yeah I think mm-hmm. I think anxiety can be such a lonely, you know, condition in thinking. You know, it's so centered around your own brain that you think no one else can possibly experience what I'm experiencing. Yeah. And just to have conversations, mm-hmm. like either on a podcast or like with your friends, just really validates how you're feeling. In that, you know, it's not as lonely as it seems. You know, everyone has their own struggles going on and. I think talking to people about, you know, their own experiences is just so beneficial and so validating and special.
2: And, you know, some days we're living our best lives and some days we're not feeling so great. But, you know, we're still that doesn't mean that that on the day that we're bossing it that we're better than the day that we're just sitting around like it's we're we're still a boss on both of those days, you know?
1: Yeah. And also, I think of all the times that I felt really lonely and just, you know, those days where it was all a bit much. And I think of all the books I've read or the blog posts even that have literally changed my life and given me that something that I needed. And it's like, it almost snaps you back into reality, doesn't it? Where you just read something by someone else and you think, I'm actually not alone. And this person, for me, it was like Dolly Alderton. I've mentioned her again. Two podcasts I've been on, I've mentioned her. She really changed my life because reading how she felt, I was thinking she can get through it and so can I. And I think Mm -hmm. hopefully we provide that to other people as well. Yeah,
0: definitely. And thank you guys so much for like just coming and just being your authentic selves and just being able to talk about things so freely is just so like rewarding, not only to hear, but like talk and share your own experiences. Um, And like we said, we hope at least one person or even just us has found Know just something beneficial in this, or something we've said that you know maybe sticks with them or helps them in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, and those listening, if you haven't yet read issue nine on mental health issue, um, it is out now. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at Imaginist Zine, our lovely new name. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, and you can find us and all the other amazing writers and creators who work for the Imaginist. And you can also find more of Amelia at What in the Patriarchy? Our lovely little list of podcasts. Yeah, please yeah. tune in. <laughs> yeah, and just thank you everyone for listening and yeah, we'll see you next time for Anxiety Corner. Yeah, thank you. Thanks
1: thank everyone. You. And
0: so again. Take one. Take one. Action. It's gonna go. I'm just sat here watching on my overnight oats.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah very robot yeah i was trying to do a robot with chaos i know (laughs) this is like pure chaos vibes